Well, good morning, Parkview. How are you this morning? I was better. The 8.30 service, I think, slept through most of, of the morning. My name is Steve King, and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Parkview. And uh, we've kicked off a few weeks ago this series. We're called Moonwalking with God. In fact, Kathy alluded to it this morning. Uh, and we're talking about the idea of how do we, uh, how do we remember things? Right? How is it that we do that? And we're doing it through this series where we're, ta- we're revisiting, retelling Old Testament stories that are too good and too important to forget. And so today we're going to take a look at uh, three folks. There's a story. It's a story of uh, David, uh, Nabal, and Abigail, his wife. It sounds like the Gilligan's Island crew, doesn't it? Um, but if you want to follow along, it's in 1 Samuel 25. And uh, you can find it if you use a chair Bible in front of you. It's on page 293. Now, the writer starts this story out by telling us, without any other information, that Samuel had just died. And so, just a little bit of context, Samuel was a spiritual giant in the nation of Israel. So, this would have been a huge loss for that nation at the time. Uh, Some other things that were going on as well is Saul was the reigning king. Uh, and the people all kind of voted him in, but he wasn't really, um, he wasn't one of God's favorite guys because Saul, although he started out well, he eventually just kind of went his own way, did his own thing, regardless of what God offered him for direction and that sort of thing, just kind of went and did his own deal. So we also need to understand a little bit more of what's going on in the background of this story, right? During Saul's reign as king, God spoke to Samuel, right? The guy who had just died. He spoke to him and he says, hey, you know, Saul is on the outs with me. I'm going to use you to anoint a new king. Well, this new king eventually turns out to be David. And so, um, and we're told from the time Samuel anoints him that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, David eventually uh, ends up serving in Saul's administration as a musician. And uh, so we know he's a pretty cool guy just from that perspective. I might be biased. Um, But we're told that when evil uh, spirits would torment Saul, that David would come and play some music and uh, that Saul would feel better and the evil spirits would leave him. Now, in the meantime, David uh, is working there, but he also, he goes out and he takes down the giant Goliath and he starts really gaining quite a good reputation throughout the nation of Israel. And so Saul continues to send David out on these military missions and David experiences huge, huge successes and it's because God is with him. And so even though Saul's excited about this, Saul also starts to get jealous and nervous and afraid of David. So he tries to kill David. And David takes off and he goes out with uh, some of his guys and uh, goes around and hides out in the wilderness. And Saul always seems to be after him, but David always manages to get away. Now think about this. Can you imagine what's going through David's mind about this point? Right? God rejected Saul as king. And so the writing is on the wall over there. Samuel, you know, God uses Samuel to anoint David. So David knows that he's going to be king of Israel. But yet you're out running around in the wilderness with some buddies of yours being chased down by the current king who wants to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a weird career path to me, right? To be a shepherd to king, not exactly probably what was in his idea. So at times, you know, as he's being chased, David actually has the opportunity to kill Saul, right? In fact, David's guys, they egg him on to do it but he never does. You know, one time when, when Saul was sleeping, he, he uh, snuck up and cut off a little bit of his robe. Another time when Saul was sleeping, he snuck up and he took a spear and a jug of water that were by Saul's head. And he got back some distance and he said, hey, hey, Saul, wake up. And Saul's like, hey, hey who's that? And it's, it's David. He said, I have your spear and your jug of water. Essentially, I could have killed you, but I didn't. 
I don't want to kill you. I don't want no harm to you, Saul. And so Saul kind of, you know, he get it. But then, you know, weeks later, months later, I don't know what the time frame is, he would be back out chasing David again. And so this is the backdrop, backdrop of what's going on with David as he's hiding out in this wilderness, this place called the Desert of Paran, we're told. So next in the story, we're going to introdu- be introduced to the key players. So we've already heard about David. Next we have Nabal and Abigail. They're a married couple. And we're told that Nabal was very wealthy, that he owned a lot of property, a lot of sheep and goats. We're told his wife, Abigail, was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but that Nabal was surly and mean in his dealings. Now, David and his posse, they were out providing voluntary protection uh, for the shepherds in the area. And some of the shepherds happened to be watching over Nabal's flocks. And so it's sheep shearing time, which to us doesn't sound like much. But in the Israelite culture, this is a huge time of celebration and festivals because the wool trade is a huge part of commerce and important to them uh, economically back then. And so David sent some guys over to Nabal to, say, uh, to ask for some provisions. And from what we see in the text, it's a a perfectly reasonable request. Now, we could look at it and say, well, who does he think he is sending some guys to go ask him for some stuff? But in in this time and in this culture, that's a perfectly normal, acceptable, and customary thing to do. You know, David is not going out. It's not the mafia type thing like walking up and saying, hey, you might want to give me some money or something bad might happen to them sheeps over there, right? It's not, he's not doing that. He's just saying, hey, can you spare a few things for my men? And David told his men, he said, exactly what to say when he approached them, right? Their words were going to be a reminder to Nabal that said, hey, your prophet is much greater because we were out protecting the sheep and goats. And in addition, David, he extended a lot of honor and respect to Nabal. He recognized that he was a man of high stature in their culture. But Nabal, who knew who David was, his response, he questioned David's lineage. He insulted his men and sent them packing. So guess what do you think David's response was? Probably the same response you and I would have had if we were dissed too, right? David took the insult personally, right? He got angry. He decided to do something about it. Text tells us, David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And about 400 men went with him. So what do you think David had in mind? (laughs) There we go. You got the answer, right? I'm thinking he's just going to intimidate him, you know? No, I mean, because we're told in David's story, in David's, it says right here, he says, as he's riding along, he says, it's been useless, all my watching over this guy's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. That really doesn't need much of a translation, does it? I mean, David is fully intending to go and wipe out Nabal and all of his guys. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, right, we're back there, and one of Nabal's servants who witnessed all this stuff happen went back to, to Nabal's wife, Abigail, told her everything that had happened. And he confirmed the fact that when David and his guys were with him, that nothing happened, not one thing was missing. And David and his men were kind and protective. So Abigail instantly recognizes that Nabal and his guys are going to get a huge smackdown. So she gathered a very large provision of, uh, a quantity of provisions, and she set off with her servants, hoping to intercept him before he could get there. And when David, uh, or when Abigail reached David, uh, here's what happened, I'm going to read from the text. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. 
She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. Now remember, the reason David is out here in the first place is because King Saul is chasing him, trying to kill him. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Do you remember when the scriptures describe Abigail as intelligent? I mean, that speech that she gives is genius. I mean, how articulate and how genius. So I'm going to just, here's the Steve K translation summary of what, uh, what she said. She said, hey, David, God sent me to help you think through your plans. Here's something you seriously need to consider before you follow through with your scheme. Right? One verse in particular is really significant. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. She reminds David that by intervening at this very moment, she's preventing David from having the blood of Nabal and his men on his conscience. And that God will deal directly with Nabal and his foolishness. She goes on to ask for forgiveness. She says, she said, I'm sorry for what my husband has done. She affirms David's selection as the next king. And she wants to make sure that when David eventually does become king, he won't feel guilty for wiping out Nabal and his men. And her last request is that once God has made all of these things happen, she simply asks David to remember her. So here's a woman who has no involvement in her husband's foolishness. She knows her husband is a complete jerk but she intervenes anyway. It's an extraordinary and unusual response. Would you agree? She puts herself at extreme risk by going out and meeting David and his posse. I mean, can you imagine this? David and 400 guys are bent on massacre and slaughter, and here comes Abigail and five servants. These guys are roaring down, ready to do something, and she meets them. And he's really, really angry, right? He says, may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So it seems like there is absolutely nothing that is going to get in the way of David and his plan of total destruction. But there is someone who can affect the change of plans. So let's take a listen and see how David responds to Abigail's eloquent plea. 
David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. So David effectively, he tells Abigail, hey, I recognize, I get it, that God sent you to me today to adjust my attitude. Right? David says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. David gets it. He recognizes that this message is from God. And he sees that he is about to make a big mistake. And he changes his plans. And I think this is a critical point to bring out of this story. Right? It's that David is willing to listen and that he's teachable. And as we continue, we see David developing from a lowly shepherd and he's on his path, working his way to become the king of all Israel. But there's some important development, important growth that is going to happen to have to happen. David has to be open to instruction from the divine king, right, from God, before he can become king of Israel. In fact, that's one of the shortfalls of Saul, right? Saul, the current king, he just goes off and kind of does his own thing. He's not open to instruction from God. That's one of the reasons that Saul is about to be replaced by David. So the ending of this story is pretty interesting. Let me read this to you. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. And she says, Yes, just so you know in case you haven't read the story. Don't you love happy endings? Like, this is like, I, this is like almost like it could be a Disney story, right? Like, it's everybody go home, they get married, everybody's happy at the end. And I think, especially compared to, I don't know about you, but a lot of Old Testament stories don't end nearly so nicely. And so, so we, we've, we've learned about David, Nabal, Abigail. We go through the story and we say, okay, that's an interesting story. So what? What do we do with this? And I think it's easy to read through stories like this, especially Old Testament stories sometimes, and think of them simply as interesting historical narratives, right? Kind of like reading a story to your kids so that they can get a history lesson while you're entertaining them at the same time. But a true reading and a placement inside the right biblical context of the story, it reveals a much more significant theological message, right? We have David. He's on the path to become king. And remember, the king of Israel, they're supposed to represent God to, uh, people to, the, to God 
but also God back to the people as well. Right? The idea of a divine king, Yahweh, it's assumed kind of throughout this whole story. So David is kind of in this um, king in training period, we might call it. And he's learning some tough lessons as he goes. I remember what happens in the story, right? Nabal is rude. David gets mad. He rides down. Abigail intervenes. And what does David do? He stops and he listens, right? The first part of that interaction is him listening and Abigail speaking. And then he listens and he does something about it. He doesn't just hear it and do what he wants anyway. He adjusts his course. He recognizes, hey, God sent you. I'm going to adjust my attitude and I'm going to adjust my plan. So it shows us that David is also teachable. So this story should ask us to prompt ourselves maybe a couple of important questions. Are we listening? And are we teachable? Are we listening and are we teachable? I mean, look, can't we all relate to this scenario to some degree, right? We do something nice for somebody, they end up responding either intentionally or unintentionally by maybe wronging us, by giving us the cold shoulder. Maybe they don't even acknowledge the nice thing that we did for them. And what's our common response? Now be honest with yourself. You get mad, don't you? Maybe we want to get back at them. Maybe I'm not going to go strap a sword on and wipe out their family, but I might get mad. I mean, when you go out of your way to do something nice for a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, and then they wrong you, isn't it easy to harbor a grudge? You ask yourself, why did I bother with this when all I get in the return is a smack in the face? So how do we handle situations like that? Do we go off on our own, angry and bent on revenge? Or do we step back? Can we step back and maybe allow God some room to move in this situation? Now, in those situations, I don't know that I've ever prayed that somebody would turn like a stone and that they would die 10 days later. But, but that is our natural, right? This grudge, this feeling of wanting to get back at somebody. Are we willing to put aside our anger and our pride and allow God some room to work? And so it comes down to a couple of things. Are we listening? Are we teachable? And what's our posture before God, right? Are we in a place of humility? Where am I and where is God? If God is high and I am low, am I down in reverence and awe in fear of God? Is my posture one of being open to what God might want to instruct me to teach me or am I just in this typical place of selfishness and pride? And hey, I'm no different than anyone else in the room with this this morning. There are too many times where I've put a plan together and I've executed it regardless of what else happened. I know there are times when I've ignored God's prompting or God's correction or God's wisdom simply to take the path that I wanted to take. So this story hit me hard. In fact, as I was reading through, I was weighing three or four different stories um, to, to talk about today, and this one just kept coming back to me. I could resonate with that aspect of this, and I hope it can resonate with you this morning as well. Right? God provides wisdom. He provides counsel, direction, and advice from a lot of different places, and if we really want to be open to hearing from God, to be teachable, to be listening, we need to be doing a number of things, right? We got to be reading His Word we need to be living in community, doing life with other Christians who can provide support, wisdom, and counsel. And we need to be praying. 
We need to be in consistent and an ongoing communication with God. So if we want to be like David, if we want to be open to instruction, we want to be open to adjustment and learning and be teachable, we ask ourselves a couple questions this morning then. Say one is, am I reading the scriptures every day? Am I reading the scriptures every day? Do you take time each day to read God's word? I don't know if you're like me, my first inclination when I wake up this morning, in fact, my alarm went off at a quarter to five this morning, I reach for my phone. One of the first things that I do is, is I think about, okay, what do I have to do today? Obviously, I knew I was going to be here, but I like my to-do list. Like, I'm addicted to my to-do list, right? And my calendar, and I live by those things because I have ADD, and I forget almost everything anybody tells me, and so if it's not on my phone, it doesn't happen. So my first tendency is to do that, and I fight that tendency instead to say, nope, I'm not going to turn to that. I'm going to open God's word, and I'm going to start from the right place. And there's no formula for how much you have to read every day. The key is to read something every day. And then when you read them, are you asking God to reveal himself and what he wants for you? Psalm 119 says it this way. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Do you hear what that's saying? He's saying that God's instruction for us should be our constant guide. That means when we read the scriptures, we don't simply look at it as an uh, interesting historical fact book. We should treat it expecting an application in our lives today. Second question we should ask ourselves, are we living in community? After you leave here this morning, will you have any meaningful interactions with another Christian this week before you come back next Sunday? And listen, I'm not suggesting by any means that we only interact with other Christians. Absolutely, positively not. In fact, we look where did Jesus spend his time? He was out in the marketplace, right? Out in the public areas of where life happens. And I absolutely believe that. So I am not suggesting we come and we stay in a holy huddle and we never get outside of that. What I am saying is as God's people, we need to be living in community with other Christians. And as the church, remember, the church is each of us makes up the church. We should be doing life together. Well, how do you do that? First, keep coming on Sunday mornings like this. The Apostle Paul affirms that we should continue to meet together. If you're plugged in maybe to an area of serving, maybe you're serving in a ministry here at Parkview, I hope that you're getting to know the people that you're serving with, that you're getting to, you, you talk to them, you ask them how they're doing, you, you're involved in their life. I love the community that the worship arts team here has. When we get together, whether it's on a Wednesday rehearsal, Sunday morning, whether we gather to study or to pray together, we're always checking in with each other. We're asking how people are doing. We're praying for them, with them. We're, going, we're doing life together. We can help support, encourage, and challenge each other. There's a group that my family belongs to through Parkview. It's got a great sense of community. We get together sometimes to study scriptures, sometimes to share some food, eat dessert, and sometimes just to hang out. Still other times we're supporting each other through maybe significant family events, or maybe somebody's just going through a tough time in life. The point is, get together and we do life together. There's a group of guys that during the school year uh, meet on, on Saturday mornings and they study the scriptures. They also, they talk about life. 
over the summer, they're getting together every other Saturday just to have breakfast and to check in with each other. They're doing life together. So maybe you're asking, well, that sounds good, but I'm not really familiar with this idea of being part of a group. How do I check that out? Well, the short answer is you'll have to wait for a month or so. Um, as we move towards the school year, we will provide a lot more information and ways for you to get plugged in uh, to a, a group. And a third question we should each ask ourselves today is, am I living in prayer each day? Am I aware of God and am I communicating with him to start my day, throughout the day, and at the end of my day? And I'm not talking about walking around like a monk would do, right? Walking around, hands folded with a hood down all the day, you know, and just in silence, solitude, blah, blah, blah. No, I, prayer is much more of a mindset than it is an activity, right? I think we all view this and say, oh, prayer, it's an activity. It's something I'm going to do. Well, I would challenge that thought and say prayer is not just something we do. It's really an awareness and a constant dialogue and communication and listening to God. And then answer this question. Do you actually expect God to speak to you today? I mean, really, when you pray, when you search for God, do you expect and then listen for him to speak to you? And whether he speaks through scriptures, through other people, or through your time of prayer, God wants desperately to spend time with you. He wants to speak directly into your life. The question today is, are you listening? 